Welcome to the Nature Sight Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Thomas. Since this is the first podcast in a series of what I hope to be a long series of podcasts, I want to give you an outline of what Nature Sight is and what we hope to achieve as an organization and, and how this podcast can help in that regard. And this is going to be a concept-based podcast for a concept-based organization. I think a lot of it, a lot of the perspective that we're coming from can be distilled into one word, and it's a word that isn't very familiar to people. The word is ecesis, E-C-E-S-I-S. And it sounds like a, an Egyptian god of some sort, but it's not. Ecesis, the root coming from ecos, where we get ecology. Ecos means home. Ecology is a study of home. It originally was the study of earth, our home, the study of systems, the study of how it works. Ecesis, in that same vein of reasoning, ecesis is the process of coming home, of becoming home, or becoming a part of a system. When a species adapts to an environment, that process is called ascesis. It's the process of becoming part of the system through evolutionary processes is, is usually how it would work in nature. And I, I like this term because it's, it's what we mean when we do ecological work, when we do ecological research. The reason any of us appreciate nature, most of us usually also have ideas of how humans should react and behave and respond to nature. That drive of us wanting to find a way to fit into nature more sustainably and, and cooperatively. That is, that is essentially the spirit of ascesis. It's the process of ascesis. Humans need to ascease into the global system. Our failure to have done so at this point is why we have so many environmental issues and why those issues seem to be getting worse. Is, and, and a lot of that, I think, comes from just the elementary notion that we see humans as being separate from nature. And of course, that's silly. There's no wall. There's no distinction between the two. We are as much a part of the living biosphere of this planet as anything else. Our failure to accept that, I think, permeates our culture, prevents us from achieving a lot of the positive things that we need to be doing. So I think that's a, a nice foundational concept upon which to build, right? In order to, in order to assess, in order to understand our own assesis in the system, we're, we have to understand the system. We have to understand how it works, how ecological systems work. We can look at other species. I'm a, you know, I, I kind of wear two hats as a plant taxonomist and also as a an applied ecologist. And in my field experience over the years, I've I've seen examples of species ceasing into into habitats and maybe we'll dedicate a whole a whole podcast or maybe several to that and it's quite fascinating but when we can see those things in real nature when we can see them actually happening and we can see we can measure and monitor the results when we can understand nature at that scale it gives us hope for how we can understand ourselves at all scales or different scales. 
I think that's one of the one of the ways that Nature Site is different than other conservation groups is we're we're trying to look at the the underlying motives of our own processes. We're trying to be conscious of ourselves within the ecosphere from a science perspective in order to understand how we can do it better, how we can how we can assimilate ourselves into a natural and sustainable dynamic better, which includes incorporating psychology, sociology, physics, chemistry, incorporating multiple fields of study, each of each often treated as a separate thing in and of itself, back into a more holistic approach. It's a it's the classic uh, consilience concept, right? I don't know of, of, of an organization that's actually doing that. With Nature Sight, we want to do that with lessons from the field, with lessons from observation, from seeing natural systems and natural processes, studying them, studying the evolutionary processes, the ecological processes that stitch systems together, and then looking at our own processes and seeing how those are similar, if not the same. And where they're different, you know, from 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 the natural world, we can find our place within the natural world. We are natural organisms. We're as natural as as a deer in the meadow or a trillium in the spring. We're not some alien entity that landed on a planet to to destroy it. There's no evidence of that. It feels like that sometimes. But there's no evidence of it. Um, you know, and in so doing, we will find ourselves to be better humans, right? The, the, the human that finds a way to adapt and to coexist with the earth itself is a better human. The alternative, the, the human that destroys the earth and leaves it smoking, polluted, simplified mess of eco, ecological collapse, that's a very ignorant a very dirty, a very pathetic and ogreish human. So it really is a matter of, of human destiny. Then we all need to play our part in that process. Um, Nature Site itself is a is a nonprofit organization, of course. We're relatively small. We don't really have a geographical context. We have a mission statement. Here's the mission statement verbatim to conduct taxonomic and ecological research, to promote science-based management of natural systems, and to engage the public through outreach and education. We also have four goals for, for the organization that, that fleshes out the mission statement a little better, and I'll, I'll address each of those indivi individually, and they're in no certain order. Uh, the first one is to conduct and disseminate applied ecological research. NatureSite is a field-based organization. We come from the perspective of organismal biologists, studying nature in the field by, by understanding natural processes, by engaging in natural processes, by being in natural settings. And by natural, I mean anywhere that there are living systems. You know, I, I, when I'm pumping gas, I'm, I'm migrating over to the to the road ditch and botanizing the plants in it because there's ecological information there and it's fascinating. And we can learn much from that. That is a degraded 
and simplified system that we would never want to emulate, but the processes of life are there. And ultimately, we need to know more about the processes of life. So along with this goal is to collect ecological data that expounds upon and gives us privy to the way nature works in an ecological context. Uh, We've been doing this for a while. Um, We've had several projects where we've collected data on systems and analyzed data on systems. An example of this is, is having ecological questions in grassland systems. There's a tendency, well, there's been a couple of papers actually coming out basically saying that ecologists are are surprised to learn that grasslands all over the world, though they haven't lost richness, and, and richness is the number of species, and these are usually you know, in plot-based research papers, that, that richness, the number of species in grasslands all over the world, has not changed much regardless of numerous forms of human impact, but the species composition, what, what those species are, has changed dramatically. So though the number of species hasn't changed, the kinds of species have. In, in essence, the number hasn't changed, but the, the contents have, that have been traded for something else. And that tendency, which I'm sure we'll do an entire podcast on, that tendency is, is to lose species of high ecological integrity, species of species that are delicate, the crystalline tips of ecological lattice, the delicate, delicate species that, that do not tolerate change, dramatic change in those systems. Those are the things that are lost. But in the meantime, when you, when you damage a system, ecological system, when those species fall out, weedy species replace them. That's their ecological role. Weedy species are, we have to refer to them as scab plants. They, they are like the platelets in your blood that form the scabs when you are bruised or, or have a laceration of some form. And, and sadly, the monitoring of systems, the monitoring of ecological systems is done by richness, the number of species. And I, I know a lot of projects, a lot of research in the, the Midwest, Mid-South, largely of North America where I work, has relied upon that and some really high-quality intensely complex ecological systems have been simplified by various forms of management or accident. And it's always justified as being okay ecologically because the richness has not gone down. In some cases, it's, it's increased. And the classic example is uh, clear cutting. You know, if you clear cut a forest, you can dramatically increase the number of species that occur there. Pretty much all the increase is weediness species like ragweed and and things that are perfectly fine in our modern landscape they are they're growing everywhere we're a disturbance inducing organism and so anywhere there are humans there's plenty of ragweed and and these species of simplified systems so that phenomenon that that relationship can tell us a lot about even little subtle changes so we do a lot of work in, in prairies and even in woodland systems and shown that that change happens. We'll do a, a whole podcast on this. There's a there's a system called the floristic quality assessment system that, that we can we can actually collect quantitative data 
that demonstrates that exchange. And I think there's an example of that on, on the NatureSite website, naturesite.org, under our projects. And so, yeah, the first goal, conduct and disseminate applied ecological research. That's the data collection, the data analysis part. We also need to tell people about that. That's a fascinating way in which life works, right? When I read the article, and I think it was it was in the Academy of the American Academy of Sciences, a prestigious journal. the The title of it was "Scientists Are Amazed to Learn That There's This Trade-Off in Ecological Systems," and I thought to myself, "How is that not fundamental? That's a no-brainer." Actually, quite found it quite disparaging to know that <laughs> that was news to people. And it is. I mean, we'll, we'll get into the nuts and bolts of, of some of these issues that are, are not just problems with, with humans and the things we do, but even sometimes the science we do is, you know, because it's not more field-based and more holistic, we, we often miss some of those interactions. Not to cast aspersions, but there, there's a lot of room for growth in these arenas, for sure. But Again, sharing that information, I think, is a big step. The more people we have conscious, again, consciousness, more people we have conscious of these dynamics, the the better humans we all can be. Uh, the second, going in the series of four goals here, the second verbatim is to conduct and disseminate taxonomic research, focusing primarily on North American taxa from a field perspective. And... This is a big one and, and near and dear, and it, and it goes part and parcel with the first one. We, in order to understand ecological systems and to research ecological systems, we have to know what those systems consist of. We have to know what the players are, right? If we want to know how baseball works, if we want to watch baseball, you got to know what the players are. you got to know what a shortstop is. you got to know what a first baseman is and does. So you have to know what these, what the pieces are. To understand how a car works, you have to understand what a alternator does and what a muffler does. They do very different things, but they're all part of something we call a car. That information is being lost. It's sad to state, but it's true that we knew more about the components of our ecological systems 50 years ago than we do today. There are very few field organismal biologists, taxonomists, working anymore. There's a few, a uh, couple of labs, but you know, I, you know, I, and I, I consider myself one of the few people I, I know a dozen or more. I consider myself one of the people that is fairly proficient with the flora of, of, of several regions. And I often still feel like I know nothing. I'm still learning. Um, I've got a list of 15, 20 species new to science that need to be described. And I know, and I know several other people as well. You got the Dwayne Estes lab at Austin P university, Theo Witzel working in Arkansas, um, Scott Nomsnick. But, but these are, these are, these are people that have, that are astute field people who understand organisms as expressions of evolutionary lineages and the complexity that those entail. If we don't know what those entities are, if we don't know especially the more sensitive ones and, and usually the ones that we, we haven't described, the ones that are yet to be described to science, even in North America, usually those are the more sensitive 
sort of incipient species, all the, all the low-hanging fruit's been taken. And so part of this nature site goal is to collect data on those organisms, make observations, and to disseminate that information, not just in taxonomic journals and not just in the scientific community, but to people. People are interested in these things. When I, when I do talks um, and take people in the field, they're fascinated to see a species that's new to science, that's undescribed, um, and to hear that, wow, that's even possible. It's very possible. And so we need to do more of that uh, for, for the obvious reasons. Third goal, putting ecological awareness and knowledge in the hands of the public. This is a big one, and, and, and this is where I think a lot of ecologists and, and biologists in general fail, is we don't have a real good PR program at all, right? Um, nature is fascinating. Nature is amazing. You know, as, as, a, as a working taxonomist, ecologist, whatever, um, I'm, I'm amazed on a daily basis. That information is so much more rewarding and so much more real than Shark Week on the television or some of the some of the the blown way out of proportion over the top concepts. You know, what popular culture's perspective of nature, what it lacks in content, it more than makes up for an exaggeration. That does a disservice to the natural systems that we're trying to inform people about because that's not really how they work. Um, it gives people a very false notion. People think, you know, from the violent things you see on trials of life and things like that, you think of nature as being very aggressive and very, uh, very tooth and nail. It's not. Nature is quite the opposite. And so if we can, if we can find ways to inform the public help them understand how natural systems work why the why the beauty and intensity and integrity of natural functioning systems is far more interesting and rewarding than seeing a shark destroy a seal that shouldn't be that should not be a hard argument to make the fourth goal is pretty much along these same lines but a little bit different twist uh, the fourth goal is giving scientists the reins and what we mean by that is that there are a lot of scientists out there that have a lot of really important and interesting things they'd like to share with the world, but they don't have any control over their job. So here's just a, an example that I'm making up off the top of my head. Think of somebody who happens to be a, a leading expert on terrestrial snails. I usually just find the the empty cast off shells of, of snails when I'm uh, looking at plants on the ground and I think, wow, I know nothing about those snails. Suppose there's somebody out there whose expertise is terrestrial snails. Maybe there is. I don't know. I, I think that's one of the one of the groups that currently has no real expertise. But say there is a person that actually does know terrestrial snails. Say that say say that, that person's job, the, their day to day job is mostly filling out paperwork and clearing permits and assisting with, with things that are important but aren't anything about that snail. But this person really loves 
terrestrial snails and would love nothing more to do than to tell the world how amazing terrestrial snails are. That person doesn't have the ability to do it because they're, they're busy making bread and butter for their family. But the rest of us need that information. We need to know what's going on with terrestrial snails. And so that's a made-up scenario, of course, but it's a real scenario in the sense that I can I could name you 30 people that I know who, who literally fall into that category where they're passionate about something. And if somebody just said, here's, here's a job where your job is to go out and, and research and understand these things as long as you give that information back to the public and inform us on how nature works and how we can understand our place within it better instead of the the mountains of other things that are put upon biologists and ecologists in lieu of the actual work that they should be doing. Basically letting those people who are passionate about something that we otherwise would know nothing about letting them have a voice, letting them do what they need to do. Imagine if Picasso was not allowed to paint. Imagine if Whitman was not allowed to write. There are people out there who are really talented and and really excited about things that we otherwise are missing out on. Those people need to have more of a voice. And so that, that ultimately is, is where that goal fits in and feeds into the other three goals, ultimately and collectively work towards this concept, this foundational notion of ecesis that, again, the the process of coming home, the process of learning our place, finding our place within this system. We're going to have to do it through a conscious awareness of needing to do it rather than, than facing a world where our only real incentive or the, the, the common incentive that we're hit in the face with all the time is the shame of, of climate change and, and the, uh, the shame of increasing litter and plastics in the world. Those are, those are, we, we should feel that way. Of course, those are, those are horrible things we needed, need to fix, but we also need to know how, what, what's the way out. I heard a psychologist one time, famous psychologist whose name I don't remember, but basically his, his research into behavioral psychology one way people learn is by having regulations or having rules, having laws, uh, being coerced, being forced into a behavior. And, and that's not a really lasting and not a very, not a very harmonious way. It, it often breeds malcontentness and resentment. The other way, the better way to help people learn and, and to change behavior is to remove the obstacle of the behavior to to remove that which is preventing people from behaving how they would behave otherwise. And so the process of ascesis, I think, is, is, is very much that, is becoming conscious of why we behave the way we do, conscious of how the world reacts, how the world actually is, and how we can find ways to make ourselves happily become more sustainable over time. Lofty, I know, but... Hey, we gotta we gotta search somewhere. Um, one last thing before we before we wrap this up. There's been a blog up for a long time for Nature Side. It's it's the blog is called the Vasculum, and it's at thevasculum.blogspot.com. I'm gonna put a couple of documents on there. 
One is the, the applied ecological synthesis, which sounds heady maybe for some folks, and maybe some folks' are, interests are piqued, but it's a, it's, a, it's a rundown of how ecological systems work in an understandable way. I, I think um, a lot of people don't understand ecology as in-depth as a lot of people easily could. So I put together this quick little rundown of, of ecology in a nutshell that I think would be hopefully enlightening for some folks. And then also there'll be another document on, uh, on the blog entitled ECSIS. And it's a, it's a hefty document. It's, it's 13 pages of making an argument for ECSIS, making an argument for the realities of systems, how they work. It's probably not an easy read. It's a complicated read, but I think there's no other way to, to put the things that need to be said uh, from that perspective. And it's basically a, a treatise on reality, getting back to what's functionally and demonstrably real, which is what science is about. And as we go along in the podcast here, it will become a common theme that we need to consistently remind ourselves what's actually really happening in nature, what is real and what isn't real, what's more real, and how do we zero in on the real, and what are, what are the consequences of being wrong and off base. Um, so I encourage folks to, to read those, I, and there's a comment section on the, uh, on the blog. If you have comments or questions, I'll, I'll monitor those and, and try to provide feedback. But anyway, that's the that's the first podcast, first Nature Site podcast. Thanks for for tuning in. Hopefully, you made it to the end. <laughs> uh, we'll try to put up another one at least every couple of weeks, and we'll have guests, and we'll talk about ecological systems and ecological processes, organisms um, from a field sense, from a science perspective, and we'll have guests, and we'll have a lot of fun. Thanks for tuning in. Talk to you next time.